0: everyone welcome to the podcast of the vineyard church chester springs we invite you to join our mission to love like jesus and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website csvineyard.org now for this week's talk brought to you by co-lead pastor amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to the vineyard. Thank you for coming, and thanks for joining us online. My name is Amos. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in a series where we are looking at the book of Leviticus, and we're going to today read the entire totality of chapter 1, verse 1. But uh, I'm I'm using an NLT here. It's uh, the Jesus-Centered Bible. I invited you to start bringing your paper Bibles. I'm going to stop putting them up on the screen because I think there's something valuable to dig in to the book. I have like three copies in the back if you want to grab one. And as I make page references, it'll be in here. So if you want to, they're, they're back on the giving basket tables if you want to grab a Bible and follow along. I think they're far superior to your phone Bibles, there's something about the sound of a turning page, but there's also something about you can't be on Facebook on this thing. Uh, You know, it's much harder to get distracted or find yourself on Google or Wikipedia or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I grew up and we had a board game that was all about Bible trivia, And so sometimes the answers to this board game were like these obscure names or passages or things that would sometimes be found in the book of Leviticus. Like who knew what an uman and a thuman is here? I mean, some of you maybe do know, but it doesn't actually help you in everyday life to know what the names of the stones are on the priestly garments. Or how about in Leviticus 10 where it talks about, see, these names are so strange. Nadab and Abihu, like what did those guys do? I mean, it'll help you win Bible trivia, but does it actually get you to a place where you're closer to God and loving like Jesus better to dive into a book like Leviticus? Well, one of the reasons I'm teaching through Leviticus is to show that even in a book like Leviticus where The details of 3,000 years ago just don't translate into the 21st century. The principles that these details point us to are actually as relevant as ever. For instance, in Leviticus, you find for the first time the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, like in the world today, is that something that we figured out and that we're doing perfectly well not not really, so we still have some some progress to make uh, as we apply the teaching of Leviticus to our lives. But I just, I want to say one more thing. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes what I've said in the past has been misunderstood, and it's been raised, uh, it's been brought to my attention, and, and I appreciate this. So in the past, when I've read a lot of Bible, or when I've jumped around in the Bible, I've said, I'm sorry, it's a lot of Bible today. I want I want you to know that I don't Think or I don't want to be apologetic about what the Bible teaches, and I don't even want to be apologetic about reading a lot of Bible. I, I'm thinking primarily, I know that some of you have really short attention spans, so I think about you like try to stay with me as I read through. But I think a more clear communication of the I'm sorry for there's going to be a lot of Bible today would be the simple realization that in the vineyard we want to make sure that there's space for you. If the Bible is new to you, if you're learning to read the Bible for the first time, I know not everybody could even find Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1 without a page reference or without using the contents, and there's no shame to that. In fact, if you're new to reading the Bible, I want to actually celebrate the fact that you're doing something super meaningful and that while it sometimes takes work and while sometimes I'll make references to things that you're not sure what they are, it's okay. Like, I'm going to do my best to try to bring the truth of the Bible into your life in a way that makes sense, but I won't always do it perfectly. And we'll just, can we just admit that sometimes the Bible is a really hard book? So I I don't want to apologize for the Bible, but I just want to help or or say I, I realize that not everybody has the wealth Of Bible knowledge that some other people do. And I'm still learning things about the Bible. Man, I learned so much this week about the book of Leviticus. I listened or read like seven hours worth of content. And so we're going to be here a while, potentially. So, okay. Um, Shall we pray? Let's pray. Dear God. (laughs) We love you, and we ask that, the, like, your intention of the Bible is that we draw close to you and that we learn about you and that we learn how to love our neighbors. So I pray that that would be the end result, that that would be the fruit of our study of, like, in particular, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1 today. So Holy Spirit, come. Be our teacher. Bring us life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him. The first word in the Hebrew Bible in Leviticus is vaikra. Vaikra. I, lo- I love the word. I'm going to say this. word. I, don't, I, I get a kick out of the word. I, no one else thinks the word is funny. Vaikra, But I, I just I'm personally humored by it. And uh, that's that's the word that communicates uh, that the Lord called to Moses. And in fact, in fact, it's it's a little more nuanced than that. It's the idea of continuing to call. So so God is continuing to call to Moses which immediately cues us up to the fact that this is like season two. This is the second movie in the series. And so just like if you're watching Stranger Things and you jump into season two, you're like, what's this upside-down place? Uh, what's going?" And what- or if Star Wars, what happened to Luke Skywalker's hand exactly? Or if you're watching uh, Marvel movies and you didn't watch the 24 movies before... <laughs> The latest one. Or if you imagine even watching Endgame before Infinity War, you're thinking, who is this shiny person? And why is Iron Man in a spaceship? And where's Spider-Man? Where did he go? Okay, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the fact that this vaikra comes to us in like the very first word is actually pointing us to the reality that Leviticus is part of a story. And we talked about this uh, a bit last week, but But Vaikra, the Lord calling to Moses, pushes us back to what was God calling Moses to do before. What's the story here? What's going on? And so, if you flip back to Exodus 3, verse 4, you remember the story. There's a bush that is burning with fire. Remember last week? But it didn't get consumed by the fire. And it says, when the Lord saw Moses, verse 4, coming to take a closer look, God called Vaikra to him from the middle of the bush. And this is significant, um, that God calls him by name, Moses, Moses. And even the name of Moses recalls a time earlier in the story, like he was drawn out of the Nile, saved from certain death by the decree of the Pharaoh mercy was shown to him. And Moses replies, here I am. Now what happens next, what God is calling Moses to is he's calling Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so there's plagues, and they walk through the Red Sea, if you know the story. And the next time God calls to Moses is in Exodus 19 verse 20. And so the context here is like they've escaped from Egypt And they're in the wilderness, and so now what? Well, what happens here, this is, again, a super significant part, not just of the Exodus story, but of the entire narrative of the Bible. Exodus 19, verse 20, it says, The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai, and vaikra Moses, to the top of the mountain. And so Moses climbs the mountain, and he receives what we now call today the Ten Commandments. So written 3,000 years ago, carried across century after century after century, the Ten Commandments have become, right, the moral or ethical code that even our modern-day laws are, are loosely based on. And this becomes a centering uh, co- code or, or writing for the people of God in Israel. So what happens? Do you know the story? What happens while Moses is up on the mountain? Uh, receiving these Ten Commandments or these Ten Words. Well, the people are down at the bottom of the mountain, and they're thinking, all we've ever known is idol worship. All we've ever known about gods is that you can build a statue and then you worship the statue. And so while Moses is up the mountain, hearing from the one and only true God, the people are down in like this outright violation of, of word number one, you shall have no other gods before me, and and word number two, and don't build an idol. And so what's God going to do with these people? This is central to the story of the Bible. What's God going to do with rebellious people? Well, Moses goes, well, first Moses takes the Ten Commandments, and he's mad, and he throws them at the idol, and the whole thing like goes poof. But Moses goes back up the mountain in Exodus 34, verse 5. And here's what God is going to say. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called Vayikra, out his own name, Yahweh. Which brings, like at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, God identifies himself as Yahweh. I have a name. I am revealing myself to you. I am your God, and I am personal. Yahweh, the Lord, uh, passed in front of Moses, calling out. Yahweh, the Lord. The God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. In other words, despite your rebellion, despite your like, veering off the path, despite your unfaithfulness, I have unfailing love, and I am faithful. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive inequity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generation. So I'll just, you know, it's, it's sometimes tempting to stop reading when things get a little uncomfortable. But I kept reading because here's the thing about God is he takes sin really seriously. Because sin is destructive and divisive and even leads to death. Like sin is deadly. It it's the choices you make that destroy other people's lives, but also your lives. And and you could read this idea of going down to the third and fourth generation a couple ways. You might say, well, God is punishing people who don't deserve it. Or you could say, like, as a parent, this if, if you live in sinful patterns, if you let anger control you, if you're scared of conflict and won't deal with discipline, like, your sinful choices, if you're living in a way that is like outside of God's plan or God's will, your children are going to pay for that. And they're going to repeat those sins to their children. Has this happened to any of you? Like the way that your dad treated you or your mom treated you, you turn around. And without incredible grace from God and intentionality, you repeat those sins to your children. And they repeat those sins to their children. And so the need for God's gracious intervention in our lives and for us to receive that and for us to repent is great. Because sin is serious. But God says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And in verse 8, it says, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. So we're in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, God called to Moses. And it roots us in this story of who God is, God's activity in the world, which for the Israelites in particular is a story about rescue, a story about leaving Egypt, leaving slavery under the Pharaoh and his way of ordering the world, coming into freedom. And so as Leviticus unfolds, we'll find, well, what now do we do with this freedom? How are we going to order the world Now that we're free, how are we going to order our lives? How are we going to order our worship? How are we going to order our relationships with other people? Because Pharaoh had a system where people were like products. They were means to an end. They were resources. And God says, no, I look at the slave and I see value. I see a treasured possession. I have heard your cries and I have come to rescue you. I have called you to be my people. Vaikra, to be my people. Leviticus 1, verse 1, and God called to Moses from the tabernacle. We got to talk about tabernacle if we're going to understand what Leviticus is all about. And it once again drives us back into the book of Exodus. Because the book of Exodus, there's about 25 chapters where it's describing you know, Moses' story and being led out of Egypt and wandering in the wilderness and the Ten Commandments. But at, verse, or at chapter 25, from 25 to the end, 25 to 40, there's 15 chapters, and it's all about the tabernacle. And so it's, there's no coincidence that in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, the tabernacle is referenced because there's 15 chapters about, well, what's the tabernacle going to be built of? How is it going to be built? And then it, after saying, here's how to build it, then there's like another five chapters of, and then they built it exactly the way the Lord commanded. in excruciating detail, like you don't care about the rings that they attached onto the altar or the design that they, you know, fashioned the, the candles out of, which by the way is like, they put these cool little leaves on them to make them look like almond trees. And it, And and it just goes on and on and on. But the tabernacle is significant because it is in the tabernacle that God will dwell. It is in the tabernacle that he will say and, and communicate to his people, I am present to you. I am here. Apparently, the God of the Bible wants to be with people. He wants to cross time and space and infinity to be with his people. And so the building of the tabernacle takes this incredibly important role. And in the, uh, if you jump now to Exodus 31 verse, um, well, just kind of Exodus 31, let's just say that. There's, there's seven sections of instruction on how to build the tabernacle. It doesn't say it explicitly, and here are the seven instructions, but as you look at the structure of the instructions given for the tabernacle, there's seven. And if you're thinking like, Where have I heard that number before? Where have I heard seven? You may be thinking, oh, yeah, the creation of the world. And on the seventh day, you remember what happens? After God creates the world, he rests and enjoys the world. And at the very end of the tabernacle construction, in chapter 31, verse 12, it says... The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. You guys know what the Sabbath day is? It's the day of rest. For the Sabbath day is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is so that you may know that I am the Lord who does what? Makes you holy. God is the active person in your sanctification in making you holy. Now, we already have a little indication that we're being pointed back even farther into the story to Genesis 1. But then if you go to the very end of the book of Exodus, Exodus 39, verse 43. I mean, it's not exactly the end, but it's very close. <laughs> After they actually finished building the tabernacle, it says this. Then Moses inspected all their work, and when he found it had been done, just as the Lord had commanded him, he blessed them. So at the end of creation in Genesis 1, it actually says, the Hebrew word is the same, God inspected his work, and he said that it was good. Moses says, I inspected the work, and I saw that it was just as the Lord had commanded And then it says Moses blessed it all. And in Genesis 1, it says God blessed his people and said, be fruitful and increase in number. So there's this really, really strong connection to Genesis 1. Why is that important? Because the tabernacle and what happens in it is going to be about God, people, And everything in the universe, it's going to be a symbol. The rituals that go on inside the tabernacle are actually going to be pointing us toward what it looks like to be in right relationship with God, right relationship with people, and everything else, including in Leviticus, you'll find commands about how to treat the land, how to treat the earth, how to be good stewards of the environment. God, people, and everything else. And in Genesis 1 and 2, you find it God walks with his people. And in Leviticus, you find God dwells with his people. And so Leviticus is all about calling back to the creation. Everything that happens in the tabernacle will be about recreation, will be about you knew what it was like to be slaves. I'm showing you what it's like to be free. I'm showing you what it's like not to be Pharaoh's people, but to be my people. And as you do life, you will actually mirror the creation of the world that I did, says Yahweh, the Lord God. You will be like a signpost for all people to know who I am and what I do and how I operate. And it all starts in the tabernacle. And so some of you have maybe experienced something like this in your life, where you've moved from one way of ordering your life, one set of rules, rituals, and expectations, and ways of doing relationship, and into another way. So if you've been uh, an alcoholic, or you've found, like, your way on to the journey of sobriety through Alcoholics Anonymous or Celebrate Recovery, you know what it's like to have this totally new way of being where the way you made decisions or the way you couldn't make decisions and the people that you had relationship with and the way you treated those people, like when you became sober, it was like everything changed and there was a freedom, as if freedom from slavery, from that addiction. But some of you have been in like really, yeah, <laughs> fist pump, right? Some of you have been in really abusive or manipulative relationships, perhaps a girlfriend or boyfriend, a spouse, a workplace where you could never really tell if you were being told the truth. And people would say, I'll do this by Friday. Friday would come and go and it wasn't done. Or I'll, I'll see you at five o'clock on Tuesday and where are they? So like you're, you can't even trust what's being said or who's uh, who's be- cut it, you know, stabbing you in the back and who's for you. But then you find after you get out of that toxic relationship, you meet people who actually do what they're going to say and show up when they say they're going to show up. And it's like this total, like, this is like a new world. <laughs> Moving from a place of disorder, chaos, slavery into a place of living inside of like the desires of God for your life is is what the book of Leviticus is trying to point us to. And so so even just to look at the big structure of the book here, you'll see some of the areas that uh, Leviticus will speak to. Again, the details might not always translate. Some of them will, but the principles will show us, for instance, in Leviticus one to seven, how to express joy and how to express repentance and how to express gratitude through like these ritual sacrifices and to have patterns in your day and in your week that help you give life to the things that you're wanting to express. Chapter 8 through 10 is about priests. And I mean, spoiler alert for two weeks from now, like it's not just that the priests were supposed to live a life that was holy and remarkable and mirrored the ways of God. God called Israel a priestly nation. And so what started with the priest was designed to spread out to all people. And so by the time Jesus comes, early Christians are looking around and saying, like, we're all priests. We get direct access to God through Jesus, we're all priests. To be clean or unclean, not the same thing as being righteous or unrighteous, but, oh man, I'm not even going to talk about that. We'll get, well, three weeks or so. Holiness codes, like the idea that what happens between you and God isn't just about what happens on Sunday at church, but like the details of your life and how you live and how you relate. And even in the case of Leviticus, sometimes what you eat for breakfast, (laughs) But, uh, I mean, the idea is that everything is spiritual. Like, God actually has a design not just for what a church service looks for, but, like, what your day looks like and what happens in your heart and what your marriage looks like and and everything. And then, like, calendars and feasts, uh, the holy days. We, We mentioned one last week, remember, Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Like, is there... Placeholders in your calendar to help you reorient toward the goodness of God? Is there something, is there structure in your life? And then finally, 26 to 27, blessings, curses, and vows. And so essentially, what happened when they set up the tabernacle, uh, also, maybe in your Bible it says tent of meeting, same thing, um, is they, this is an artistic representation, they put the tabernacle in the dead center of the camp. And so, these little squares around the, uh, the camp uh, are just letters in the Hebrew alphabet representing the 12 tribes. And so the 12 tribes circled around the tabernacle in the center, and at the end of Exodus, you have the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud resting there, showing the people God is here. The glory of God is among you is with you. And the rituals and the festivals and the sacrifices were all things to help orient people, even, you know, years after they enter the promised land, when they don't have the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. Like, how are you going to remember that at the center of your camp, that at the center of your church, that at the center of your life, if you want to live, if you want to thrive, if you want to, like, have a life that is Directly from God, like if you want to have God's life and God's spirit living within you, there's there's these things that you need to do to help orient your life so that God is at the center of it. And so I just think, I mean, think about this last year. We've all changed. Some of us have gotten kinder, and some of us have not. Some of us have gotten more stressed out and more anxious actually have all of us almost all of us many of us <laughs> like are more stressed stressed out and more anxious like we talked about slavery talk about slavery to fear and and slavery to like depression like the low lows have been awful and the patterns and the rhythms that you had 2 years ago they're they're not the same today And so the question is, over the next few months, between now and September 1st, what are you going to do, what are you going to prioritize to help make sure that your life gets reoriented or stays oriented to the presence of God? How do you make sure that the presence of God stays at the center of your life? And I'm not talking about just coming to church on Sunday. Although I think, I'm not, I'm not out on a limb here to say, like, I think God wants you to come to church on Sunday, like, to be with people who love Jesus, to come into his presence, like, in the flesh, to worship. Like, am I, I at the Vineyard, we don't like to say, and this is God speaking. Like, we always say, like, this might be God, but I'm pretty sure, like, if you're reading the Bible, you find that faith doesn't happen in isolation and it doesn't happen exclusively on a computer screen. I think God wants us in church. If you're on vacation, I think God wants you to have something in your week to orient your life toward him and toward his ways. And maybe it will be inconvenient, and maybe you don't want to go, but maybe it's part of the rhythm that helps you stay connected to Jesus. What are you gonna do in your day to help you stay connected to Jesus? Like, is there something that you do every day that helps keep this fire at the center of your life? I'm not asking for an hour. I mean, when I was in high school, I prayed for an hour a day. I don't know that I don't do that anymore. I was very disciplined, I guess, in high school. I would pray, I would, I would pray a hundred prayers of thanksgiving. Okay, so. That wasn't a rule that anybody said I had to do. It was just something I did for a season, and it's, it's easy to become legalistic, right? So legalism is when it becomes about the rules uh, or it c- becomes about control. Some, sometimes you can be in a community that's very legalistic, like do this, and if you don't, I will, you know, whack you with, uh, well, maybe not with a stick, but maybe with a guilt, a guilty whack, <laughs> a guilty verbal whack, right? And, and that's, that's slavery, actually, like legalism, and, uh, like, that's slavery. Like, Pharaoh had whips, and sometimes people take their guilt whip and, and give you a good thrashing, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But there are things that I did in high school that I don't do today. Does that make me a less spiritual person? I don't. I hope not. But maybe, but maybe there are things, and you have, a, you have an opportunity here to be intentional. What are the things you're going to do this summer? Yeah, it's June, like, Tomorrow. What are you going to do this summer? Are you just going to take vacations? Are you just going to watch Netflix? Are you just going to go to work? Are you going to find some rhythms, perhaps spiritual disciplines, Google that word, okay, that keep you charged up? Like, are you going to stay connected to your car's alternator or are you going to jump your car every time you need some, need to go somewhere? <laughs> do you need to find some jumper cables? Like, I think... It's better off if your alternator works and your battery's good. <clears throat> Otherwise, you get stuck in you know, Wegmans parking lot. I mean, that's never happened to me. Has it <laughs> happened to you? Anyway, <clears throat> do, do you, this is what I want for you. Like I, I want you, as we transition, I mean, I, I don't want you to stay in the low of lows. I don't want you to stay in the chaos of, of no rhythms. Or the, the frantic nature of raising toddlers, or the stressful reality of having teenagers. And I don't want you to like be in a place where you're living out of anger or fear or stress. I, I want you to have I want this for your life. I don't want you to be enslaved. I want you to be free. and I want you to have like life with God. and I want, I want, I want you to be able to worship. And I want you to be able to feel like full of joy and have transcendent peace. And that doesn't happen if you just float through life. If there's no, or if the only rhythms you have are, you know, cultural holidays. It happens if you do things to keep you connected to the grace and goodness of God. Not because you earn it, but because God is gracious and loving and faithful. I want you to make space for him to come in. And again, maybe that's praying before meals or maybe that's five minutes of reading your Bible a day. But again, I wouldn't recommend Leviticus as like a, you know, start to finish. Just maybe, maybe a gospel or something, you know. But but we we, we, we translate this. Like if, if we can take what we've got from Leviticus 1, verse 1. Vaikra Moses, Vaikra Moshe, <laughs> Yahweh, you know. Anyway, sorry. Like the Lord called the Moses out of the tabernacle, like where he dwells, you jump ahead into the New Testament and you find Jesus calling to his disciples. Like this is there's a weight. It's not a coincidence that Jesus calls out to his disciples and says, follow me. It's rooted into a story of God's rescue plan for the world. It's rooted into a story of following Jesus means that you take the good news and the life of Jesus and share it. Like that, that's the mission of God in the world. So Jesus calls out to his disciples. But before that, even theologically in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the, you know, the word, the son of God became flesh and dwelled among us. Dwelled among us. The Greek there points back to the Hebrew word for tabernacle. The word became flesh and, like, literally tabernacled among us. And when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and Paul reflects on what's going on in the world, like, he says to people who follow Jesus, You're a temple. And you're a temple. Like you're the you're the where the tabernacle was like a temporary tent, then they build this more permanent temple where the presence of God would dwell. And he says, You're a temple because God dwells in you. And if we can jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here, because you are a temple, because the Spirit dwells in you, because God is in the Business of recreation, of salvation, of rescue, of faithfulness and everlasting kindness. And because he forgives rebellion, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ becomes a new, your Bible might say person or it might say creation, becomes a new creation. Just as the tabernacle was meant to be a symbol for a new creation and a new order and a new way of living, you become a symbol and a sign for people of what a new creation and a new order and a new way of being will be. And Paul goes on the old life is gone and the new life has begun. The rule of Pharaoh is over, but also the way of Pharaoh of slavery, of using people is over. The new way, God's way of loving people, of cherishing people, of serving people has begun. And all of this is a what? A gift from God. It's all grace who brought us back to himself through Christ, who rescued, who drew out of chaos and slavery, right? It's, it's pointing us back to the story of Exodus, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. Would you stand? In the vineyard, we actually believe that God is still speaking and as we worship you will be singing songs but we believe we believe that god shows up and sometimes can be felt and sometimes can be heard and so i would invite you to tune in to what god might be stirring in you into the like new creation that god is like inviting you and drawing you toward to the new patterns and habits i mean uh, you probably didn't grab one of these because I was uh, not handing them out. But on the table out there, there's a, a little event card. Like there are there are things happening at the church this month that are like they're designed to keep you connected to people and keep you connected to God. And these are these are like the the rhythms of our church, just as the rhythms of Leviticus were designed to keep God at the center. These are some of the rhythms of our church to help keep God at the center. Like, think about what God is asking you to prioritize, to set in place, to, like, make sure happen every day and plan the rest of life around. Like God, don't, don't let God get pushed off the page, off the day. And so, and so I, I hope and I pray that throughout this series and throughout this summer that you're drawn closer to God. And that the reading of the Bible, of Scripture, actually makes you a more loving person, and a kinder person, and a more forgiving person. And so, Holy Spirit, come. We invite you into this place. Bring your kingdom this morning. Jesus, we love you. We want to listen to your words. We want to hear you as you call us. But we also want to sense your presence here. We ask that you would reveal to us those places in our lives where we are outside of your will or outside of your righteousness, outside of your goodness, like the the ways and the decisions we're making that are just off off the mark and we we repent, we turn back to you. We invite you into every single space of our life, every single day of our calendar. And so Jesus, we, we sing these songs to worship and to love and to acknowledge that you are at the center of our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.